Um, So our reading today is to John, the elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing a new commandment, but the one that we have heard from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is, the, and this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that that, that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. Um, I'm just going to pray for Scott before he speaks to us. Um, Father, I just pray for Scott now as he comes to talk from your word. I pray that you would give him the wisdom to know what to say and that you would help him to speak clearly. And Lord, I pray for us as we listen that that you may give us ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Ella, for reading and for praying. Thank you to Freddie for leading us. And thank you to the band for um, helping us to sing to encourage one another, to teach one another, uh, and to express our gratitude and our praise to God. We'll be looking at the whole of 2 John this evening, so please keep that open in front of you. You see on the back of your service sheet that you should hopefully have received when you came in a rough guide of kind of where we're heading this evening, and you might find that useful as we go along. 581 days ago, Scotland was placed in a lockdown from which we are yet to fully emerge. That is one year, seven months, and two days ago when the country was instructed to live and to act a certain way in order to avoid the dangers and the risks of a potentially serious and deadly threat. And in 2 John, what we have this evening is a letter where God's people are instructed to live and to act in a certain way in order to avoid the dangers and the risks of a potentially serious and deadly threat. When John writes his letter 2,000 years ago, the threat that they were facing was not a virus, but that which John calls false teaching. And by that he means any sort of teaching that claims to be in line with the gospel, 
but in reality leads people away from the gospel. Teaching that claims to be in line with Jesus, but in reality leads people away from Jesus. And John says to the church that they are to stay completely socially distant from the false teachers and from what they say. So we saw John at the start of the letter introducing himself as the elder to the elect lady. And as Freddie touched on earlier on, that is John's description of the church, the bride of Christ Jesus. This letter is written for both those who were there at the beginning of this church when it was formed and her children, those who have subsequently joined the church. Everyone in this church family is to lean in and listen very, very carefully to what John has to say. And the reason why John writes this letter, verse 1, is because he loves them. He loves them in truth. And they're not only loved by John in truth, but they're loved by other believers in truth. Again, verse one, not only I, but also all who know the truth. John writes this letter because of the love that every single Christian shares for one another. A loving desire to see every other Christian and ourselves abide in the truth of the gospel of Jesus. To see the church family abide in that truth and to see the church know the truth of the gospel forever. And so John's first instruction to the church in these verses, you see in verses one to six, it's on the back of your service sheet there, and it's to love one another by walking together in truth. The church is to love one another by walking together in the truth. John's initial report that he has to share with the church, that he's heard about the church, is positive. We see in verse 4 that John rejoiced greatly to find some of the children of the church walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. We're not sure if his report is the result of a personal visit himself or whether he has heard a good report from someone else. But John is either way filled with joy at how he finds this church. I'm sure some of you can think of situations where you've been in a particular part of the world or a particular part of Scotland and you've just been able to walk for miles and miles without ever exhausting the wonderful scenery around about you. You find yourselves completely overwhelmed by the beauty of everything that you see in your vicinity and on the horizon. You can walk for hours and hours and hours without ever feeling like you have seen it all or you've seen enough. And John is encouraged to find the church walking in the truth of the gospel, walking in the commandments of the Father, exploring the wonderful, inexhaustible gospel scenery around them as a church. It's John's understanding of a healthy church, one which is listening to God's voice and walking forward in the truth of the inexhaustible gospel. But John knows that this church needs further instruction. And that is because of the threat that lurks. So you'll have picked up the prominence of the word truth 
in the opening of the letter. It's mentioned five times in the first four verses. And then the word command or commandment is mentioned four times just in verses four, five, and six. And then by contrast, you'll notice in the second half of the letter, John says that there are many deceivers who have gone out, those whom John calls the deceiver and the antichrist. We'll come on to them later on, but in this letter as a whole, what we see is the truth of God's commandments, the truth of the gospel, and those walking in that truth colliding, colliding with the false teaching of those who set out to deceive. And John knows that the truth of the gospel, the commandments of God, will help the church family to fend off the deceivers to fend off the false teaching. And it's actually why he begins the letter encouraged. It's why he begins the letter rejoicing, because he finds at least some of the children already doing it. They're already walking in the truth, just as God commanded them to. And he says, good start. But notice that as John goes on in verses, well, verse five, he says that this is something that the church is not to do on their own as individuals, but something that the church family is to do together. So read with me, verse five. John says, and now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but one that you have heard from the beginning. Love one another. And then verse six, this is love that we walk according to his commandments. John says that the life of a church is a wonderful, virtuous circle. God's command to the church is to love one another and to love one another is to walk in God's commandments together. See, John wants them to see walking in the truth not as a single player sport, but as a team sport. I remember my days in the boys' brigade a long time ago now, when I was a much younger man. I have to confess, I found it a slightly strange environment to be in. If you've been in the boys' brigade, you will know what I mean by that. They always picked who went first for tuck shop at the end of the evening based on how clean your fingernails were. I find that a strange environment to be in. But the worst moment by far as part of the boys' brigade was one of those end of year or end of calendar parades or performance evenings where seemingly thousands of parents would gather taking photographs, all waving proudly to their sons who weren't allowed to wave back. Again, strange context to be in. And I remember one particular evening where our particular section, the junior section, had one task, we had one job, and it was the fairly simple one of walking into a hall, single file, and lining up behind the person in front of us. Walk in, stand in a straight line. And we completely botched it. We were all walking in the right direction. We were all walking towards the right place, but we were not doing it together. We were walking at entirely different speeds, we were completely out of step with one another, and it was a total mess. I can still hear the laughter of Glaswegian mothers and fathers ringing in my ears. 
And John wants the church that he writes to to avoid the issues, to avoid the problems that the 128 Glasgow Boys Brigade Junior Section encountered that evening. He tells the church to walk in the truth of God's commandments together, to love one another by walking in the commandments of the gospel together. We love one another, and loving one another means that we walk as, his, as a church family in his commandments. John says you cannot walk in the truth of the gospel alone. You, your church family, you all need others around about you to walk alongside you, and they need you to walk alongside them. Why is John so eager that the church knows this and does this? Well, because he is so aware of the devastation that can be caused by false teaching and false teachers. He knows, as we know today, that false teachers, false teaching, false gospels have a really, really tragically effective rate of sneaking their way into churches, denominations, Christian organizations, Christian movements, and laying waste to any genuine gospel work or any genuine gospel witness. And so what he does in the remainder of the letter is to give the church family the characteristics of false teaching, the consequences of false teaching, and the cure for false teaching. And so he says in verse seven, that these many deceivers who have gone out into the world, they do not confess the coming of Christ Jesus in the flesh. So 2,000 years ago, there was quite a popular idea floating around that the flesh, our bodies, physical stuff, that was intrinsically bad or intrinsically evil. And by contrast, spiritual stuff, our souls, well, those things were intrinsically good. Therefore, the thought of a good, almighty, spiritual, holy God stepping into bad, sinful, evil flesh well, that didn't make any sense. That was an idea that wasn't compatible with the popular ideas of the day. And so some of these false teachers started to deny that Jesus came in the flesh. And that is such a dangerous thing to believe. It's such a dangerous thing to teach because the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh is such an important, such a key part of the gospel. It will not be too long before we start singing that he was pleased as man with man to dwell. God himself stepped into human flesh to live a sinless, perfect life, to die for our sins on the cross. And that is something that is non-negotiable. See, false teaching might change its face throughout the years. It might look different throughout the ages. But false teaching will always try and do exactly the same thing. False teaching will always take the truth of the gospel of Jesus, who he is, what he has done, what he says, and it will just start to loosen some of the screws. It will always take the truth of the gospel of Jesus, who he was, what he said, and deny something. And in verse 7, John calls out these false teachers to be anti-Christ, anti-Jesus. 
he mentions that they have gone out into the world. Now, John might mean that geographically. He does indicate in his first letter in 1 John that these false teachers were once a part of these church families who have subsequently left these churches to go out into the world. They've literally left the church. They're no longer present with them. But his letter here seems to indicate that the false teachers are still just a little bit too close for comfort. It's worth knowing that John regularly uses the phrase the world throughout his gospel to mean those who oppose Jesus and to mean those who reject his gospel. Therefore, these false teachers going out into the world, well, that seems to indicate that they're taking the genuine gospel of Jesus and then altering it, reimagining it, reimagining Jesus, changing his identity, changing his words, just to make it slightly more acceptable to those who listen, to those who oppose Jesus, to those who reject the gospel. Their false teaching is easier on the ear. It's a sort of message that more people can get behind. But over time, it sounds increasingly less like that of Jesus and increasingly more and more like that of the world. All of which can make false teaching slippery in its nature. But actually, in another sense, it's quite easy to spot. There was one stage during lockdown, I think some places might even still do this, where you walk into a restaurant or a cafe and someone will point an infrared thermometer at your face. I believe they're not trying to scare you off going in. I believe they're actually checking your temperature to see if you're displaying any viral symptoms or not. Whether or not it works, I'm still not sure. Either way, John says that you can do exactly the same thing with anyone you suspect might be carrying false teaching. And the infrared thermometer that you point at someone's forehead is the genuine gospel of Jesus Christ. You point that at their forehead and you ask, is this person's spiritual temperature the same spiritual temperature as Jesus and his message? Does this person confess or deny the words of Jesus? Let's be clear that John is not talking about doubts expressed by genuine believers. He's not talking about questions coming in from younger believers or those who are still thinking things through. John is talking about deceivers who very, very deliberately take the gospel away from Jesus and out into the world. He is talking about those who deliberately twist the gospel away from what Jesus said to a slightly more diluted version or a much more diluted version, or a different version altogether. Those are the characteristics of false teaching, and we would do well to be on the lookout for them as a church family. And then in verses eight and nine, we see the consequences of false teaching. See, John's command in verse eight is for the church to watch themselves so that they may not lose what they and John, what we had worked for, but instead to win a full reward. I know one or two people, family members and friends that have done a bit of sailing over the years. And if any of them were to purchase and renovate a sailing boat, working on it every single weekend or a couple of nights a week, 
to make it fit for purpose, you can guarantee that they would make sure that that boat was safely moored at sea every single night. If they forgot to drop the anchor, if they forgot to secure it to the dock, then what would happen is that tidal forces would gradually cause that boat to drift further and further out to sea, and they would lose everything that they had worked for. John's warning to this church is that if they allow false teaching to permeate their lives together as a church family, the consequence is to detach themselves from their gospel moorings. And then the tidal forces of false teaching might just drift them slowly but surely further and further away from the genuine gospel of Jesus. See, the consequence of false teaching is to be slowly deceived, slowly sucked into that which a false teacher, that which a deceiver says is true, and in so doing, run a serious risk of losing the full gospel reward that Jesus, that John mentions here in verse eight. All of which is John's motivation to tell the church to watch themselves. Lower your anchors every single day into the true, genuine gospel of Jesus. See, he lays out the nature of the situation to the church in verse nine in pretty stark terms, which is supposed to wake the church up from any sort of slumber they may have fallen into when it comes to all of this. He says in verse nine that those who are false teachers have refused to abide in the teaching of Christ. They've gone on ahead and they've left the true Jesus behind. And John says, if they've done that, they do not have God. So church, do not follow them. Do not side with those who do not have God. Do not compromise or abandon the foundation upon which our salvation rests. Instead, again verse nine, abide in the teaching of Jesus and you have both the Father and the Son. Eternal consequences are at stake here when it comes to false teaching and false teachers. Listening to them risks the loss of everything that John and the apostles have worked for. False gospels do not lead to the new creation. Abiding in the teaching of Jesus does. Which in turn means that if we hear someone around Chalmers, if we hear someone around a Christian union, if we hear somebody around a summer camp or in a Bible study group suggesting that we don't need certain aspects of the gospel, suggesting that we don't need certain parts of the Bible anymore, undermining the authority of Jesus, undermining the authority of the apostles, we collectively have a gospel duty to expose that line of thinking as false. We do it in a way that is gracious, we do it in a way that is Christ-like, but we do it in a way that is firm. We watch ourselves, as John would have us do. And that leads us nicely on to the cure for false teaching, which is the last thing we'll look at this evening before we sum up. 
So when it comes to false teaching, when it comes to false teachers, when it comes to the deceivers that knock on the doors of these churches, we are in full fat level four plus, plus, plus. And we stay there. See, John says in verse 10, if anyone comes to you and does not bring the teaching of the gospel, do not receive him into your house. Do not give him any greeting. Stay clear. Some of you might know that 2,000 years ago, men and women would have gathered in one another's houses, homes, as a church family. A house was certainly where people gathered to eat and to drink, but it was also where they would have assembled at least once a week to encourage one another, to teach one another as they sang and as they listened to God's word being taught, just like we're doing this evening. And John says, in these gatherings, do not give any airtime to a false teacher. Don't give them a hearing for the sake of balance or politeness. In fact, John says, verse 10, don't even let them inside at all. It's nothing personal. It's not character assassination. It's just a simple understanding, but a really, really crucial understanding that false gospels taught by false teachers are utterly, utterly destructive in the company of God's people. John loves the members of this church too much to allow any platform to those that might try and lead them into anything false. And so they need to think very, very carefully about who they listen to and who they allow to teach them. And we should do exactly the same thing. Let's think very, very carefully about the people that we listen to. Let's think very, very carefully about the speakers we invite along to Christian union events on a Monday, on a Thursday, or lunch bars, or whenever it may be during the week or during the month. Let's ask the preachers who stand up here. Let's ask the elders of the church, the small group leaders, the leaders of the various ministries around the church, are you abiding in the teaching of Jesus? Is your gospel his gospel? See, regardless of how good we might think we are as a church family, when it comes to spotting and fending off false gospels, we must never ever think that we are immune. We must never ever relax our attitude towards teaching that is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Instead, the cure is to abide in the true teaching of the gospel of Jesus. So as we draw to a close, what is John doing in the letter as a whole? How does walking together in truth and love, walking in obedience to God's commandments together as a church family, how does that stop this church or any other church from being deceived by false teaching and losing the gospel rewards that they've been given? Well, the answer is really straightforward. John says that walking together in the truth and in the love of Jesus, hand in hand as a church family, that is your first and best line of defense against anything that is false. So over the past 18 months, as lockdown hit and hit hard, I really, really welcomed the return of live sport as something to look forward to at the weekend, as something to look forward to of an evening. 
And if you've ever watched a smaller team upset the odds and beat a bigger, better, more impressive, more frightening looking team, then the commentators and analysts will often say something like this. The team worked really well together today as a unit. They worked extremely hard for one another and they made themselves extremely difficult to break down. Opposition coaches and managers will say we just couldn't get through their defense because they really worked hard together as a team. And John says, walk in truth and in love together as a church family and you will make it impossible for false teaching to break you down. If you encourage one another together as a church family to listen to and to obey the gospel and the words of Jesus, you will make yourselves extremely hard to penetrate. If we walk together in the truth of the gospel, looking out for one another, loving one another, then false teaching will find it extremely hard to sink its roots into this church family or any other church family that does the same. We love one another, and so we want to keep one another safe for eternity by walking in the truth of God's commandments together. Now, I have to confess at this stage that I often find it hard. I often find it hard to link arms with others around about me. I often find it hard to love others around about me. I often find it hard to walk in the truth of the gospel together with others around about me. There are a whole host of reasons why. My sin in my own heart often leads me to think, well, I've, I've done my part, I've done my share around here. Now it's up to others to pull their weight for us as a church family. Or the sin in my own heart reads all of this in Second John and says, yep, I'll gladly do this with some of the church family. The ones that are just that little bit easier to get on with but not the rest, please not the rest. Or I might be tempted to allow someone who I know is saying something that is definitely deliberately false to say what they say and not to question or to challenge it. Just because it's easier to stay quiet, it's easier to keep the peace. But Second John will not allow me to do any of those things, not anymore. Second John reminds me that false teaching is out there. It's a real danger. We should be wary. But we have absolutely everything that we need to fend it off effectively. We have the true gospel of Jesus and we have one another. So let's love one another by walking together in the truth of Jesus, away from danger, towards the eternal gospel prize that awaits every single one of us. Let me pray as we close. Father, we thank you for your commandments to us to love one another by walking together in your commandments. Father, thank you for that wonderful virtuous circle where we keep on loving one another by walking together in the truth of who you have made us to be in Christ. Father, please help us to do this selflessly. Please help us to do this knowing how dangerous false teaching can be.
And please help us, Father, to spot it and to fend it off, not in our own strength, but in yours. Thank you that you have shown us what is true. And thank you that as a result of that, we can know what is not. Please, Father, would you protect us and would you help us to be looking to the interests of one another and helping us all collectively to do this as a church family. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.